Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. And then there were two of us. Hey, Neil, welcome back, friend. Man, it's so good to be here to talk about weddings. I hear wedding bells. It's almost wedding season if you're a pastor, right? What is it? We really have the run from like May to June. Wouldn't you say that's the the big season? And don't forget those great fall weddings here in beautiful Wisconsin. They they, they can be really nice or have snow. But wouldn't you you say those are a little earlier than down here in Appalachia? Because uh, I remember one time coming in October and it was like snowing. Uh, up in the Wisconsin area there. So yeah, you, you, you can't totally rule out a mid-October snow here in, here in Wisconsin. That was crazy to me. I'd never seen yes. that in my life. I mean, it was laying on the ground. Like we've had it spit snow on Halloween. That's the earliest I've ever seen. So, all right, now let's just, let's just kind of start with the beginning here. You know, we know we got a lot of pastors that listen to this. Let's, there's been a lot of controversy since I've become a minister, since you become a minister on issues of who should do marrying. Should some some people in response to the LGBTQ items have been pushed through when gay marriage was legalized, uh, just said, I'm not going to do marriages at all. I'm not going to do any weddings at all. And that's how they handled it. Do we have any business as pastors marrying people? Yes, I, I would say so. Is there a biblical reasoning for that or behind that? You know, I, I guess I don't know, other than the fact that, that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And so for me, I, I would say we would want the church to be involved in that. And ultimately, as a covenant before God, wouldn't, wouldn't it be significant that God's people are, are present and a part of that union between believers? Yeah. But I don't know that that's a biblical argument. Right. You Maybe know, I just like weddings. Well, maybe you do. I mean, we can't really say that there is any kind of New Testament mandate for pastors to do weddings, right? Mm-hmm. So in, in theory, if a minister wanted to say, hey, it's not really biblically part of my responsibilities as listed in uh, in the New Testament in Ephesians or in First or Second uh, Timothy or in uh, Titus, it's no mentioning here of me doing anything like a wedding, we could say that if we wanted to and try to be as less controversial, but I, I think you would almost spark as much controversy because in our culture, I believe it's kind of an expected thing that a minister will do a wedding, right? Yeah, I, I would agree. And, and in some ways I, I don't shy away from that. So, so with respect to the challenges we are facing more and more with how marriage, how culture is attempting to redefine marriage, not that culture has the ability to define marriage. I can understand that that maybe is somewhere you want to run to, to avoid the controversy altogether. But I, I still think the involvement of, of the, the local church and, and a covenant both being witnessed by, by God and man, I, I think it's significant for us as, as churches and therefore as pastors to still have a part to play in it. The, um, the thing here that we're going to talk about then if we're, and I'm in agreement with you, Neil, as well, I think that doing a wedding, I, I think just trying to withdraw from culture would be a mistake because I have formed some good friendships by helping people with marriages and uh, doing weddings. Uh, just to be clear before we go on much further, because the, the definition of marriage has been tossed about a bit in our culture. We mean the marriage of a biological man to a biological woman uh, that is intended by God, you know, um, in, in Genesis. This is not a 
narrative we have made up. This is one that was handed down through Moses, and then Jesus reaffirmed it. So uh, that that is what we're talking about here, right? right? Yes. So. Yes, we are on the same page. Uh, so now let's let's move on past this, and we'll move into some just kind of pragmatic things, particularly if you're a minister. Uh, what are some prerequisites that you may hold, Neil, before you'll marry a man and a woman together? So that is a great question. And I, I, I want to follow up just with a background question when we get a chance to, but I'll answer yours first. For us, prerequisites are pretty simple. So our church has a marriage policy. And as a, a minister of the church, I am, I am kind of exercising my, my pastoral duty under the authority of the church and that ministerial policy. So for me, I'm sort of obligated to our policy, whether or not the wedding is people from our church or whether or not the wedding is um, done at our church. So even if I travel to Alabama to do a wedding for a family member, I'm still um, obligated to exercise pastoral authority as, as a minister of Bible Evangelical Free Church. So, so for us, um, what that means is this. I mean, first of all, we, um, we, we want to have these, these people um, express their understanding of, of their commitment to Christ. Are, are these people walking with Jesus or do they not know Jesus? And we're going to address that before we move ahead. Secondarily, um, some of the big issues that we deal with and probably the biggest hindrances to us doing weddings um, today are then going to be, are they, are they um, sexually engaged with each other in an ongoing fashion? Um, and then two, are they living together? Now, either one of those we would address if they were in those situations and if they're willing to repent and change, that wouldn't necessarily hinder us from doing the wedding, but we want to address them prior than prior to moving forward with the wedding. And then lastly, um, we actually, as a, a community, Tomo community, have agreed that we want at least four months to do premarital counseling ahead of a wedding. So, so anyone that we agree to marry will have gone through uh, an approval process with our church and, and commit to um, commit to, to celibacy prior to marriage, not to be living together. And, and lastly, to be a part of premarital counseling, all of that based on their understanding of faith. So that that's a really quick one. And maybe I missed some others that I would hold to, but, but that's kind of, yeah, what I can think of off the top of my head. Let's let's talk about a marriage policy for the church. I uh, could not agree more, and particularly in a time when marriage is trying to be redefined. If you are interested and you're a listener and a church leader here at the Appalachian Baptist Network, we have, uh, I would be happy to give you ours. I'm sure if you need, if you'd like to see what they have at Toma, they'd be more than happy to share those resources as well. And you can kind of make your own, but I do think what the that the policy is going to free you up because there are some convictions we hold uh, i would say largely in the culture people don't see an issue with two people of the opposite sex living together and sleeping together like most people in the culture don't see that as a problem uh neil let's just be clear as to what the bible would say about that isn't that a little old-fashioned of us as ministers to say we have an issue with you living together what what why is that a problem we're trying to do the right thing, right? Get married. So what, why is this an issue now? Right. Well, that, that is a great question. And in one sense to a couple living together, if they said, Hey, we're trying to do the right thing and get, get married. What I would say is great. Let's take care of that immediately then. And if you're willing to get married now and, and, and go to a courthouse and, and be married so that going forward, you are married and living together, we're cool with that. But if you're asking us to sort of, sort of give our blessing or approval to that situation, outside of any other change, then, then there are some significant issues with that. First and foremost, what I tell couples on a regular basis is, is marriage Marriage is not just about a particular act or, or so in other words, 
marriage is more than just can we or can't we have sexual intercourse. And, and so in other words, a lot of times couples will come even with our own church and say, well, we're not having sex. And so therefore it's okay that we're living together. But, but when you're living together, you're already entering into marriage relationships in a number of different ways. Right. Um, you're, you're, you know, in terms of sharing life together and becoming one, you're already doing so. It's sort of like you're jumping the gun and you want us to come in behind that and say, hey, we're behind this. And, and in some sense, to protect marriage means not just to protect ourselves sexually, but also relationally, um, emotionally, and, and in every other way until we have covenanted together to, to live as one and pursue one another wholeheartedly. So apart from that, any kind of relationship that moves down the path of living together, I think is trying to pretend at marriage outside of the commitment to marriage. So, so that's how I would gauge that, I guess, for, for couples I meet with. And we, again, both in the church and outside the church, we address this a lot. Right. I would like to share, these are older stats that I have, but I have some stats on uh, marriage rates. Now, I would encourage you, if you don't really see an issue with living together, to look at Matthew 19, which is an issue on divorce, and those verses wouldn't carry the weight if if God didn't find it important. Uh, you need to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter, what, 3, and read about how God brought the union of the man and woman together as his will for procreation. Uh, you know, it's not marriage, marriage functions. Uh, there is a vested interest that not only the church has, but society has that marriage is defined correctly and is executed correctly because marriage provides the means by which people are made and born into this world. And so there's that. Uh, the other issue that I have found with, uh, you know, it's just not God's will. You make the commitment and then you become one instead of, like you said, trying to become one, then make the commitment. It's doing it a bit backwards, right? It's like trying to eat dessert first and then hope that there's enough room for the vegetables and the rest of it. Uh, Eighty-five. That's uh, not a problem, though. No, no. Eating dessert no, no, first. Good, good, good. We're advocates of that here at the ABN. <laughs> we, we believe that clearly. Uh, we, we have a missiological truth here I'm going to share that uh, people who are fundamentally opposed to Christ are not opposed to ice cream. So use ice cream to the glory of God wherever you can, whenever you can. <laughs> so you heard it here on ABN. <laughs> Uh, here, here is a stat. This is old. So this is from 1988 and I'm sure that it's probably not changed much. This stat is from uh, one study by the American sociological review. So this is from a secular, this is secular research. Here's what they have found. They state in this article commitment and the modern union assessing the link between premarital cohabitation, cohabitation and subsequent marital stability that there is an 85% failure rate among those who live together before marriage, that their marriage is in a divorce, 85%. And I think it's interesting that that's the reason. And I'm going to share with you why I think that happens. I know you're going to ask me that, Neil. So I'll just go ahead and you want to go ahead and ask the question now. Why? What, what, why, why is that? Come Great on, question, what, Neil. Why what, what, the yeah. 85% in? It's probably higher now, actually, I would say. When you are living together and not married, the carrot that is dangled is one day we'll get married. And so being on your best behavior is about getting that carrot of getting married. But then once you get married, what's the carrot that is there to dangle in front of the flesh to get everybody to behave and stay in line? And the answer is there's not one. But if you make the commitment on the front end, 
what is it that is there? Well, you're committed first and foremost to honoring the Lord, and then it follows. So it's it's building the foundation of the marriage correctly from the ground up. So that's really the major danger, I think, in in living together before you're married is I think you're setting yourself up for failure. Would you agree with that, Neil? I think so, because because to your point, it, it, it's just clearly it's not honoring the significance of covenant. Covenant, covenant is what gives us the grounds um, or the the boundaries in which we are called to exercise this unity of, of flesh, of heart, of, of life. And outside of that covenant, I think we are we are not giving ourselves the protection God intended for us to pursue this one one flesh union. And, and I know that has sexual ramifications, but I think it has whole life ramifications as well. So so yeah, I, I think anytime we, we move outside of that covenant and try and have the benefits without the covenant, we're in a dangerous situation and we've devalued it over the long term. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Now let's, let's move into this now that we've kind of established some of these things about who we will or won't marry. Uh, let me ask this question, Neil, will you marry if two people come to you from your community and this happens all the time, particularly for senior pastors, two people come to you from the community, they don't know Christ or they claim to know Christ, but it's pretty clear they don't understand the gospel. So you would in either one of those cases, categorize them as unbelievers, people who haven't repented of their sins and trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Both of them unbelievers. If they come to you and ask you to marry them, will you do it, Neil? Um, I, I would be hesitant to do that. And in, in fact, I'm not sure my policy even allows us to do that. Uh, what I would agree to do with them, though, is, is meet with them and begin to study um, what marriage is and and see if we can't come to an outcome where where the gospel is made clear they can trust in him now we i've had a situation i'm i'm marrying a couple uh, in july who the the husband to be is a newer believer than the wife and so we actually rather than starting our premarital counseling with typical books and workbooks on marriage we actually started with a book on discipleship and being a disciple which covers both the gospel discipleship uh, the doctrine of the church and old and new testament survey sort of to 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 flesh out and give this this man a, a clear understanding of the gospel before we even begin. So so I, I would say I, I might offer to do some premarital counseling prior to offering any firm commitment on doing the wedding. So not to be vague, but I would say I'll I'll meet with you and we can counsel on marriage, but I, I want to work through this before I'm ready to commit to doing your marriage. And so so because those are gospel opportunities and, and marriage is ultimately a, a reflection of, of Christ's love for the church. So it's a great chance for us to share the hope of the gospel with these couples. But but you asked a, a more difficult question, too, in there, because you have both the, the clearly unsaved. Then you have those who claim to be saved, but but are not in, in our our estimation. What would you do with that, Travis? That's a tough one for me. So I would uh, if there if it's a situation where you have clearly two people who are not they're saying we're not Christians. And, you know, churches are not as popular of a venue for wedding now. You know, I would say church buildings has become a, here farms and outdoor venues are much more popular. And I I would say that's probably the same everywhere in the U.S. at this point. But, uh, you know, I think that you would be okay to have two unbelievers and marry them in a Genesis three context, you know what I mean? Where you're just trying to help them do what's right before God, even though they're not necessarily honoring God with, with their soul and their commitment to Christ. Uh, and even when we help people do God's will for their life, I would argue that we're doing the right thing. And in that process, you may see them come to Christ. Now, 
you'll you'll be a little bit. I, I would still require meetings with them, like you were saying. You you might be in a situation though if one of them gets saved in the process and then the other one is not. <laughs> yes. So you're going to have to. This is a issue that Paul deals with, and he calls that being unequally yoked. And I think at one point in time, people saw marrying an unbeliever as a way to evangelize. Uh, I don't think the New Testament would ever, uh, would ever give a stamp of approval to that. Uh, let's talk about that for just a minute, right? It, not many people are agricultural anymore. What is a yoke? That's a, that is a bond for what? Two, two beasts of burden, usually yes. ox, right? Yes. And you had one ox that was usually stronger and one that was a little weaker and you would place them in this and they would use them to plow the fields to plant and for there to be a harvest. And that's what a marriage is going to do, right? A marriage is going to, uh, there'll be a, a field that will produce fruit either for the detriment or for the good of, of all that are around. And as these oxes are pulling, right, they need to pull the same direction and they need, they need to be in sync with one another. You know, another question I would even ask further, Neil is it possible for two Christians to be unequally yoked? For example, we both went to seminary, and when we were at seminary, we used to joke and say dating at Southern Seminary was like dating in dog years. You remember that? People would say, oh, yeah. Me and Beck were dating. We were one of the last people to get married there at Southern, and uh, people thought we So were, that was like October. Yeah. It was like, yeah. yeah. We waited like uh, 12 months, and people thought yeah. we were crazy, you know, because that was like, you know, years in seminary dating. But, you know you had people at Southern who felt clearly called to say the mission field in India and other people who maybe felt called to uh, pastoral ministry here in the States. Is it possible for Christians to be unequally yoked? You know, I think so. And, and, and definitely to, when you put it in that, that terminology or, or that scenario, I think certainly because, because we ought to be praying through where we are sensing God is leading us and, and bringing that into our conversations about our, our fitness to be married. And, and a famous example of that is Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, mm. who, who, who delayed their marriage for, for, I think, a pretty significant period as they were trying to sense God's leading um, both in their lives individually, his call on them, and, and whether or not them being married would, would be to the glory of God and the good of their continued walk. And so, so I know that early in their relationship, that was an issue that, that both of them were waiting on and praying over was their fitness to be married while they, I think, deeply loved each other. So it wasn't that I, I think one did not care about the other. I think they were trying to pursue the fullness of obedience and how they lived their life. Yeah. So I think that's a great point. So, you know, we may have to help people set out. One of my favorite things I like to ask couples when they come in my office and say, we want to get married. I like to ask immediately, why do you want to get married? because how they answer that tells me a lot about if we're equally yoked or not, or if they have a correct understanding of marriage, because if they say we want to be happy, that's a terrible answer. You probably should say either we got to change that answer or we can't do this wedding. Right. What does that say about your view on marriage? Marriage is not the course to go to pursue happiness. No, 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 it's not. It's two sinners. It's two fallen sinners in a fallen world with a faithful God. It and is that is a, so true. It is not a path to just insta happiness. Are there moments in your marriage that are happy? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But dude, it is a continual call to die to self. And if you're not ready for that, you're not ready. You know, but, I, I, I can't help but think of a, a, a couple of parents um, of one of my closest friends growing up. They, they were the strict parents you, 
when, when the moms got together to talk about different rules and expectations, this was the mom you didn't want your mom to talk to because you knew the rules would get tighter and stricter. Well, she and her husband, they were the premarital counselors at one of the churches they attended and were elders at. And well, he was an elder at, and they, they took great pride in the fact the percentage of couples they broke up prior to marriage due to their, their not being fit to be wed. And I remember a friend of mine when he was hearing this story saying only your parents would take pride in that number. But I, I think they took seriously the, the, the commitment that marriage was and wanted to make sure these couples were going into it having weighed that. Are they equally yoked? I think so that what you said, Travis, I think was really helpful and a great thought. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's really what you're trying to get at with premarital counseling. And then you're trying to be helpful with just some basic day-to-day things like budgeting. That's all fine, but that's really, in my opinion, not the thrust of premarital counseling. The thrust of it and the main thing is that we uh, we ask them why you want to do this. What is the main what is the main goal you have in this? If you think this is just going to complete you and make you who you need to be, you are mistaken because you, your, your relationship with Christ should be enough, whether you have your spouse or not, because look, here's the reality. One day your one of you will die unless it's like, you know, one of those, what is that secondhand lines movie where those brothers go out together in the airplane? Unless you have some situation like that, more than likely somebody signing up to be left behind and Christ has to be enough when it's over for whoever's left, you know? And he's what, who makes us whole, not our spouses. Yes. And, that, and, and when that's not the case, even in our marriage, all our spouse is, is an idol. That's right. Yeah. And when that idol doesn't do what we want, we either sacrifice for it or we toss it aside. Yeah. So, okay, let's move on here. Next question is this, Neil, would we say a wedding ceremony? So the day, the big day, the day every little girl dreams of, right? Is that a worship service? No. Why? No. And I would, I would say not unless, unless somehow a church has a habit of performing marriages as a part of the regular gathering of the saints. So, so for me, a worship service is the regular gathering of the saints on Sunday to worship Jesus, to identify as his people and to reflect on what he, who he is and what he has done for us in salvation. So, so no, I don't think a wedding is a service in that sense, but I do think there can be worship that occurs in a wedding. How, how would you answer that one? Yeah, I wouldn't be inclined to agree with you. It's not a formal recognized gathering of the church per se, because usually what I would classify as a worship service is going to be when the church is the agreed upon time that the church comes together for prayer, reading of scripture, preaching, and uh, one anothering, you know. And I think a wedding can have pretty much all those elements. I mean, maybe not the preaching as much because most people aren't into preaching at weddings, but at least gospel clarity can be, can be done at a wedding. Uh, speaking of which, another thing that we see that churches do, and this is a reason that I would distinguish it and say that a wedding ceremony is different. Uh, sometimes you go to, to weddings and the Christians there are wanting to make it as worshipful as possible, which... This concludes part one of wedding season. If you have any questions or would like to hear more expanded on topics that have been covered so far, please contact us through the instructions that are at the conclusion of this episode. Have a blessed day and join us next week for part two. 
You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.